This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod, PuckCast, with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJScholes24. Now, we're into the month of March. The playoff pushes on, and with that, the tension around the games is growing, and so is mine, i got to say. AJ, I talked to you before we went there. I'm a little ticked off that three of the league's top five teams are in the Atlantic Division, and two of them will be eliminated in the first two rounds of the playoffs, the way they're currently structured. Does the league have to take a look at this and change the postseason format? You know what? I know what they're trying to do here, and it's create rivalries, and I like the idea, but boy, oh boy, it kind of irks me when, when I think that two of Boston, Toronto, and Tampa are going to be gone before we reach the NHL semifinals. What say you about that? I think you're just scared to play Boston in the first round. I mean... <laughs> No, I mean, I actually, I've always been kind of a fan of it. I I know a lot of people want to do the one through eight. um, And, and I certainly can understand that. But for me, uh, I do like the kind of instant rivalries and look, you have to beat everybody anyway, if you want to get there. So uh, yeah, you know, does Toronto having to go through Boston in the first round and then potentially Tampa in the second, does that maybe make it harder uh, for them to get to the finals and say, uh, the Islanders having to go through, you know, Carolina and then, you know, maybe Montreal or something, you know, sure. But at the end of the day, you still have to beat everybody to get there. Uh, you have to be playing your best hockey at the right time. And, you know, even if it did stack up one through eight, uh, they could still have to go through Boston and Tampa Bay potentially to get there. So uh, to me, I like the fact that there's kind of these instant division rivalries right away. I mean, how many times have Washington and Pittsburgh had to play uh, in the first rounds here? And so I, I've got no uh, grudge against it. And actually, if you look at it, the standings as they are right now in the Eastern Conference, Tampa would play Montreal. Washington would play Pittsburgh uh, as the Penguins with the top wild card. So you instantly get that matchup right there. And I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, you know what? I am too at the end of the day because you said it right. You have to beat the best to be the best. And uh, Ric Flair said that, didn't he, way back when for wrestling (laughs) fans out there? Part two of the opening uh, topics that I wanted to come up with was uh, the deal with uh, John Tavares going back to the New York Islanders 
in terms of visiting with the Leafs uh, last week. And the Islanders fans, they booed their hearts out, which they're entitled to. But they started throwing stuff on the ice, and that's where I draw the line. This guy and his team were the the victims and the targets of a lot of vitriol there, and it was way over the top and a little unnecessary. The fans certainly did turn out. It was a big sellout in the old barn uh, on Long Island, and uh, that really point was driven home for me when... uh, they, the team played to 3,000 people less than capacity in the next two game, <coughs> games, which were losses against division rivals Washington and Philadelphia. I'm not sure what ta- Tavares did that so many other top players have done in, in the past with uh, going through, through free agency and picking where they wanted to play. He gave them nine years. He was the leader of that club. He wanted to play for his hometown team in Toronto, and uh, I don't begrudge him that opportunity. And just the same, I'll say the same thing if, if Austin Matthews leaves in five years to go to Arizona, AJ, before you say that. Uh, what, do we, what do you think about that? <laughs> I was thrilled, though, with the, the Leaf fans' reaction the next night in Toronto. Uh, the Leaf players, instead of lining up on the, on the blue line for the player introductions that are typical of the opening lineups, they came off the line and John Tavares was left alone there and the fans knew what was going on and they responded with a rousing occasion. John Tavares is is a Toronto guy and uh, the Leaf fans let him know just how they feel about him. So it was a happy ending to a pretty vicious uh, night before, I'll say, and I don't know if you caught any wind of that. Yeah, the only thing I agree with you uh, in terms of like throwing stuff on the ice uh, and actually I saw a fan like threw an Islanders jersey at him as he was coming off the ice. I think those things cross the line for me. Um, Other than that, you know, if you want to boo, you want to boo. I mean, uh, I obviously, uh, you know, I'm a, a Packer fan. So obviously we had Brett Favre lining up with uh, you know, for the Vikings, uh, at one point, you know, and certainly, uh, there were some hard feelings on that as well. But, uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the management here decided what they wanted. They wanted to move on. And I don't think anybody's sad about moving, uh, to Aaron Rodgers either. So, uh, all that to say, you know, I, I get booing, I, I get being upset and that's totally fine and justified the fans that, you know, altered their jerseys a little bit to poke fun at Tavares, name, uh, you know, changing the ending there a little bit. That was all in good fun, in my opinion, as well. But the uh, the throwing stuff on the ice is where I cross the line. So obviously, uh, you know, differing opinions there, but uh, that's kind of where I landed. But before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us. We'll try and answer those questions for you. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Schultz 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right, let's get into the 31 teams and a look at the roster shifts. In Anaheim, they went 1-2 and two last week. There's seven games under the break-even mark, I'll call it. Kevin Roy was called up after an injury-riddled season in San Diego. He's finally going to get a look at the left wing on the top line because of injuries to Nick Ritchie. He has slumped also with one assist in his last eight games, so the opportunity was is there for Roy to do something. Devin Shore may have sustained a knee injury as well, but with Henrik and Kessler in reserve, center depth remains a bright spot here. Miller has done a fine job uh, as the backup goalie all season long, setting a career career record. Excuse me for wins by U.S.-born goalies recently, and uh, Brent uh, Gooley is getting a look as a top four defenseman after a nice year in in uh, Rochester. So, uh, what say you about what's going on in Anaheim? Well, I did want to touch on one thing uh, that, you know, with all the trades and everything we didn't really get to is uh, Jakob Silverberg signed a, a four-year 
or I'm sorry, rather a five-year uh, $26.25 million contract extension. Uh, I think this is a good deal for them. I, I think they're getting a player at, at a relatively uh, manageable value at $5.25 million per year does include a modified no trade clause. So obviously that can uh, factor into things down the road, but just recently scored his hundredth uh, goal as a member of the Anaheim ducks. And so I really think they're, they're getting good value for a winger. Yes. His numbers are down a little bit this year. Uh, he has just 26 points in 57 games dealt with a couple injuries there and probably won't hit the 40 mark uh, again this year. But you're talking about a player who when healthy is certainly capable of hitting 40 could push for 50. And if he could get a better team around him, let's, let's, you know, call it what it is. Anaheim's been a down year. So for him to be just one of many uh, struggling players right there is not too much of a surprise. So good signing both ways. I think it's good for him and the team. Well, they're not struggling in Arizona, AJ. They swept their three games last week, despite injuries to Derek Stepan and Nick Schmaltz. Cousins and Richardson stepped into the top two center line roles. Richardson even highlighted his week with a four-goal outburst in one game. On defense, Jeff Chikrin is back uh, in top form, uh, playing top four minutes on the blue line. He had four points in his last six games, so the offense is coming together even on the back end uh, with some depth showing there. Logan Krause showing his potential as well with four points in his last five games. We've been waiting on him. He's a first, former first-round draft pick, and he's finally showing some signs of really meriting that status and contributing well to this offense. Uh, another notable issue is Oliver ekman Larson had five points last week, and uh, Kemper continues to impress in goal now up to seven straight wins that's a shocker for me because this guy profiles as a backup goalie yet he's uh, taken the bit and he's running with it right now he allowed only six goals against in the three wins last week yeah I think what's interesting for me is the step on injury and I I worry that it's going to be a little bit too much for them to overcome uh, in terms of making, you know, securing that wild card spot. They're just two points back uh, from Minnesota with a game in hand, in fact. And so it's certainly obtainable, but I worry uh, that that injury, uh, you know, given the the extended timeline, there is going to be a little too much for them uh, to manage long-term. One way they can do that is going to be Christian Dvorak. He's just three games back uh, from that long extended uh, absence due to his knee injury. Uh, and so hopefully they'll get him rolling here. No points uh, so far uh, since coming back, but they're giving him a look on the power play as a way to kind of jumpstart him. And they're really going to need him to kind of, uh, you know, stem the tide uh, from Derek step on being out. And in Boston boy for a leaf fan, it feels like the Bruins haven't lost since the Sahara was a forest. They went 3-0 three, three and oh last week. Marcus Johansson skating on the right wing at the second line. Charlie Coyle is centering the third line, as we expected. Danton Heinen has the plum roll on the right wing on the first line with five points in his last six games. He's loving life right now and a great DFS value play. Useful depth player Sean Corrali, though, is in concussion protocol, and this guy's a real key part for them, so you want to watch that situation as the playoffs near. They brought up Solaric again from the AHL, and he's holding down the left wing on the third line as a result of that injury situation. Well, and let's not forget they're without David Pasternak right now. Uh, he's, you know, not set to come back for almost another week to 10 days right now. And adding him, uh, just can you imagine this lineup? I don't really know what they're going to do, honestly, with Danton Heinen. I guess they could send Sir, uh, Sir Larrick back uh, to the minors and put Heinen in that spot. But I almost think you'd be better off uh, putting Pasternak 
uh, almost into a third line role. Potentially you keep Marchant Bergeron and Heinen, uh, and give, you know, three solid scoring lines with David Pasternak. There is certainly something that they uh, may want to consider going forward, but it's hard to argue with how good he was playing with Bergeron and Marchant to start the season. So this is a dangerous team. That's only going to get better with his return heading into the playoffs. Stop it. Will you <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo Sabres? They're one and three. They won- lost last night. So make it one and four in the last eight days. Connor Sheary had a big, big week offensively with five points in the last three games before <laughs> last night as left wing on the second line. Evan Rodriguez has resumed and retaken the center role on the second line over a struggling Casey Middlestat. We've talked about his struggles. They continue. And uh, on the bright side, Kyle Pozo is looking more engaged recently and his minutes are rising and maybe he'll wind up earning some of that salary in the latter stages of the season, although the games won't mean too much for the Sabres at this point. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the good. I'll talk about the bad. They obviously, uh, the biggest news yesterday came out. Jake McCabe is going to be out five to six weeks uh, with an upper body injury. Uh, And so that's going to be a big loss on their blue line. But as you said, uh, they're already pretty much out of it. I guess mathematically they're not eliminated, but they're a long shot at this point. One other kind of, uh, you know, uh, bad thing uh, that's going for them right now is the disappointment of Vladimir Sabaka all season long. Uh, Injuries have obviously been an impact here, but he's got one point in his last 15 games uh, and is really struggling to produce. This is a guy that racked up 31 points last season with St. Louis. It looked like a great signing for them, potential for a top uh, six guy that could maybe push for even 40 points. Uh, instead, they've gotten 11 out of him in 60 games, a minus 14 rating to go with that. So clearly there's some, uh, you know, problems on the back end as well. And so really an all around disappointing uh, year for Vladimir Saboka. And in Calgary, the highlight of the week was the Jerome McGinley sweater retirement on Saturday. Unfortunately, the current edition of the club, lost uh, on home ice that night. In fact, they lost last night in bad style against the Maple Leafs, too. It's the first two straight games they've lost at home all season long, so a bad time to take that dip. In terms of player news, Austin Zarnick has four goals and one assist as a right wing three since coming off the IR eight games ago, so he's had a productive run of it in the top six uh, scoring uh, setup that they have right now. On the blue line, Mark Giordano, of course, has become the leading candidate <laughs> of the uh, the Norris race in, uh, in terms of best defenseman in the NHL. He's become only the third D-man all time to reach the 60-point mark in a career-best season at the age of 35 or more. So kudos to him for that outstanding season. But the problem for me looking at this team is in goal. Mike Smith and David Rich have been pretty steady, but uh, they're spitting up the bit uh, in the last week, uh, last couple of games. And uh, that situation bears watching because they're pretty solid everywhere else. Yeah, I think that's definitely a concern. You know, Riddish had, uh, you know, that kind of strong start to the year, looked like he was going to take over uh, and, you know, late this, you know, through December and January, it looked like the the starting spot was all his. uh, And then that has obviously waned. Now he had two good outings to end uh, the month of February, a pair of one goal allowed performances. Unfortunately, he was let down by his offense or, or he did get wins rather. Sorry, I misread that box score. Uh, got wins in those games, but it was tight two one victories there, uh, but then got shelled obviously by your Maple Leafs uh, to the tune of six goals his last time out. So uh, it's certainly a concern there between the pipes. They're going to need to to be better uh, if they're going to make it. And this team's in a tight, tight race. I mean, yes, 
uh, they're atop the Pacific, but they're only three points ahead of the Sharks. And so you don't want to lose that top spot, in my opinion. Uh, I'd rather be playing the likes of Dallas, Minnesota, Arizona in the first round than falling to second in the Pacific and having to go up against a hot, hot Vegas team uh, in the first round. In Carolina, the surge has really uh, lit a fire under Nino Niederreiter. He's really found his mojo here. Anybody who's listened to me over the last couple of years knows I'm a huge fan of this guy. He's playing like a real stud right now. 18 points in his last 19 games played, and he's playing left-wing minutes on the top line right now. They got another boost offensively with Jordan Stahl coming back as a center on the second line. Six points and four games <coughs> played for the Rangy center, who has a strong two-way game. A good DFS value play there, in my opinion. In the Nets, Peter Mrazek has won his last four starts, but is still splitting time with Curtis McElhinney, who's been absolutely outstanding all year long. And he, he, for his part, only allowed six goals against in his last five starts. So they're getting superb goaltending from a rather nondescript duo over there. Well, I guess uh, that's going to be the theme of the day. Paul, you're going to highlight the good. I'll highlight the bad here. Uh, I think they need to get more production out of Michael Furland. And, and this is uh, a guy who is kind of designated as uh, what uh, what's the term for it? A uh, your own um, own rental that's is right. kind of the term for yeah. it. And so uh, he's going to he's on an expiring contract. They opted not to move him uh, heading into the deadline here. Uh, and he responded, you know, just before that with a two point uh, burst on February 26th. But otherwise, that's his only points in the last six games. And they're really going to need to get more out of him. Uh, this is another team, again, that's in an absolute battle uh, here heading into the season. Yes, uh, they're in, you know, they're in third in the, the Metropolitan. Uh, but Pittsburgh is one point behind them. Obviously, Columbus is still a factor. They're three points back of Carolina. And it, it is uh, certainly not uh, a guarantee that Carolina will make the playoffs. There, there are definitely scenarios where they get dropped out here in the coming weeks. And so they need to be firing on all cylinders. And Michael Furland, I think, is going to be one of the keys to that. In Chicago, I have to admit surprise that they've resolved their depth up front with the emergence of a second line that I didn't see coming. Dylan Strom's arrival there has certainly worked out very well, and he's partnering greatly with his line mates there. But I turn my attention to the Nets where... Corey Crawford has finally returned, though he gave up nine goals over his first two starts. I wonder if he can show a return to form over the remaining schedule that uh, makes this club a little bit more interesting to uh, predict how they might uh, turn things around next year. Uh, on defense, though, another concern, veteran Seabrook has a career-worst minus nine rating on the season. He's now paired with Gustav Forsling, who has been miscast, in my opinion, as a top four defenseman. It's that lack of depth that is the next uh, target that needs to be upgraded on the blue line here. They need to improve that dramatically to help this team's trajectory going forward. Absolutely agree. What I'm intrigued to kind of see how it works out is right now it looks like they're going to give uh, Chris Kunitz a look on the top line with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. That's certainly a role uh, that he's been familiar with in his career. Now you look at his recent outings, there was a stretch there where he was averaging uh, just uh, six, uh, about a little over six and a half minutes per game in a five game stretch there. Uh, but he still managed to put two points up, uh, which is somewhat surprising uh, given those limited opportunities. Now, his ice time bumped up a little bit most recently against San Jose to closer to around 12, uh, which is uh, pretty close to a season high for him. It's not quite, but it, it's right around a season high. And so that obviously has to do with the shift in line. So uh, for me, 
I might consider, uh, especially as maybe a contrarian pick, if I'm trying to find deep value uh, in DFS contests, I think Chris Kunitz might be someone to look at, uh, assuming he holds on to that spot for another game or two. You're such a big fan of that guy. The homer <laughs> comes out and you almost four times Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> That's all right. It's all good. In Colorado, I'm telling our listeners today, AJ, to keep an eye on one, Alex Kerfoot who has seen some time recently as the left winger on the top line. He has five points in his last six games, including a lot of power play minutes, too. Gabriel Landeskog has dropped down into a second line, second scoring line situation to strike more of a balanced attack here. And it helps, too, that they have Derek Broussard on board, and he has two goals in four, <laughs> in four games played as a left winger on that second line. So he's found a pretty uh, nice landing spot in his new digs there. Carl Soderberg is enjoying his first 20-goal season as a pro. He's parlayed a recent scoring splurge to push well ahead of Tyson Yost in the pecking order among the center icemen. But I'm waiting on Yost and think he could be a, a dark horse for a breakout maybe even next year as, as a top six forward here. I, I like the depth they have. Uh, they've grown, and uh, it's not going to be a one-line team much longer, I don't think. Well, I, I hope they can get something out of out of Broussard, uh, and they have so far, and guys like Yost, because uh, I really think this team needs to consider reuniting uh, Landis Gog, McKinnon, and Rantanen and, and, and put those guys back together. And the reason I say this is because uh, the experiment to kind of move them apart and get depth hasn't really panned out well uh, for them at, you know, at stretches during the season. This is a team that you look at the, the standings breakdown, they are the only uh, plus goal differential team uh, in the Western Conference not currently locked into a playoff spot. In fact, the two wildcard teams ahead of them, Dallas and Minnesota, are both in the minus on that goal differential. So obviously there's other concerns other than scoring. But at this point, I think they need to embrace what they are. They're a first line scoring team that is going to need to win some shootouts here if they want to capture a postseason spot. Well, and one team that really blew their brains out of the trade deadline in terms of changing things, things is Columbus. They're sitting currently two points out of the last wildcard spot with a game in hand on Montreal <coughs> in that race. Uh, this team is all in for this season, but I wonder what about next year? That remains a huge question mark. Uh, in terms of the recent acquisitions, Ryan Zingle has two points in his first four games as left winger on the second line here, while Matt Duchesne has only one assist over his four, first four games as second line center. On the blue line, Adam McQuaid is playing third D pairing minutes, not a lot of them, but uh, the policeman is on the beat there, and that's what they got him for. Uh, Harrington moved up to left wing, uh, left defense on the first pairing with Seth Jones and has two assists in four games played with more minutes per game. This guy might be a good DFS value if he continues to latch onto that role with one of the premier scoring defensemen in the hockey. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I think if this team makes uh, a playoff push, they might be able to get some of these guys to re up. But uh, if they miss out, I think it's going to be a, a fire sale uh, in Columbus, and you're going to see guys leaving, uh, you know, so fast it makes your head spin. I think what's interesting is they brought in guys uh, for relatively 
low cost additions in Keith Kincaid and Adam McQuaid. And right now, neither one's going to see the ice. McQuaid uh, was a healthy scratch and, and projects to be uh, a little bit longer here. Uh, and obviously that's, you know, that's a concern there. And then you brought in, as I said, Kincaid. And I think that was maybe uh, insurance policy if they did get an offer for Bobrovsky at the trade deadline, but still to give up things for guys that aren't going to see any ice time for you. I find really surprising. Uh, I'm a little uh, shocked, honestly, that they haven't sent maybe Corpus Allo down to the minors, although they might have to use waivers at this point. So that could certainly be a factor, but uh, yeah, their additions right now aren't looking so hot uh, and it's definitely not looking good in Columbus. In Dallas, things are looking a little more sunny uh, than than Columbus right now. They went two and one last week. Rupe Hintz is a guy that we've talked about a little bit. He's moved up the depth chart and now playing left wing minutes on the top line. Two goals, eleven shots on goal in the three games played last week. Joel Lesperance is up with the Stars from the minors after four, putting up forty four points in fifty games played for Texas, their AHL affiliate. He's slotted in as the second-line center here, and he's uh, well-positioned between veteran wingers Ben and Spezza, who should insulate him and and bring out the best in his offensive game, I think. Radek Faxa has seen bigger minutes at center lately and responded, too, with three goals in his last six games. So the offense has some variety to it, and that's uh, a big reason for their uptick, uh, I think. I expect Roman Polak to move... Uh, the, I expected him to move at the deadline on defense, but he's now logging more than 20 minutes a game here and partnered with Miro Heiskanen, who has had a bit of a breakout season on the blue line. So I guess that's where uh, Pollock's value is here as an insulator for Heiskanen on the back end. Yeah, absolutely. I do like that pairing a lot. I'm, I'm generally a big fan of kind of doing the the one defensively minded guy and one offensively minded guy together. And I think Polak has really given Heiskanen uh, the ability to jump up into the play a a lot more. And so I think that's only going to help his development. You touched on Jason Spezza and we've talked all year that they need to get more out of him, especially given that price tag. And he's starting to find it a little bit, four points in his last seven games, three of which came on the power play. And so you like to see that continue and, and move up and forward. Uh, obviously, you know, the concern is, uh, whether he can maintain that long-term and how they, you know, deal with, uh, his pending contract situation. But for this season, pushing for a playoff performance, uh, they're going to need everything they can get out of him. And he's starting to reward them for that. And uh, when it comes to the Detroit Red Wings, we have to pause for a moment and reflect on the career of, and the contribution of hall of famer, Ted Lindsay passed away at the age of 93 yesterday. He, he helped to form the players' union, and so all players, uh, past and present, have to owe this man a, a tremendous debt of gratitude for really organizing the players and making the ownership realize that they're not to be taken for granted. I had the pleasure of meeting him a few times at Hall of Fame function, AJ, and uh, I stand six foot three. He, it's reported, stands five ten. There's no way he was five ten even in his playing days, but. Uh, a giant of a man in the hockey industry and one who instantly garnered respect from everyone in his presence. Uh, a tip of the hat in this corner to him for sure before we go on and break down uh, the rest of the, ho- of the uh, news around Detroit. And that begins with Philip Ronick. He appears to be another young D-man of the future here as he's impressed of late with four points in his last five games played and is seeing time on both special teams. So they're really giving him a baptism under fire right now. Another blue line who's recently joined the mix here from 
Washington is Madison Bowie. He has five shots on goal in his first two games here and slots in as a third-pairing D-man. I'm not sure about how, uh, the offensive upside there, but uh, you see a changeover on the blue line in terms of going away, moving away from veteran presence to more youth uh, beyond the first pairing there. And uh, I've been waiting on Philip Zadina to be called up for a long while here in Detroit. He shot his mouth off pretty good in the exhibition schedule, if you'll recall, saying he was going to make everybody... Uh, pay for for not uh, picking him and uh, having seeing him drop to the Red Wings in the first round of the draft he's now going to get a look on the second line uh, at right wing and uh, he comes there after getting 30 points in 44 games in the Grand Rapids uh, AHL system yeah I'm excited to see what else he can offer this team uh, moving forward I think obviously his promotion uh, comes in a time where you're going to see you know these younger guys Bowie chronic uh, Zadena kind of get looks and get an opportunity to show uh, what they have and, and, and what they can do in the league. And so uh, I think it's a, an exciting time if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan to kind of watch uh, these games and, and check out some of your younger talent and, and see what they uh, can bring. Uh, and you mentioned, obviously, Ted Lindsay's passing, uh, you know, as stories have circulated about what he's, you know, done uh off the ice in his career Uh, another one that i found really interesting that i had not heard before uh, is the fact that he boycotted his hall of fame induction because he was told uh, it was a stag event and that his family couldn't come Uh, his you know his mom his wife uh, his daughter uh, you know people that he wanted there that had given up uh, you know sacrifice for him to be able to play uh, hockey and certainly wanted to honor them by having them there uh, and that rule changed the next year uh, after he made that decision so I think that's you know an important another story that needs to be told about things he did uh, off the ice uh, not just on the ice exactly well said in Edmonton uh, they went to one and one last week I've been calling a uh, calling on uh, people to take a a look at Zach Cassian. He should be a DFS target as long as he continues to skate with the top guns here as the right wing on the top line. He had goals in each of his last two games four last night, along with bigger minutes of playing time. Another tough guy, Alex Chason, is also logging big minutes on the second unit. He has a career high of 18 goals on his ledger uh, in that <coughs> second line right wing spot. So some toughness on the right side that very few teams can match. But very little else going for this team beyond the top two guys, Dreisaitl and, of course, McDavid. With injuries to, to depth forwards Pugliarvi and Kyra, Josh Curry was also called up recently to play third-line right wing minutes. He has four points in his last five games and making a good account of himself. I found uh, some comments uh, recently very interesting from Connor McDavid, and so I'm going to touch on that briefly. I think you summarized everything going on with his team really well. They asked him if he felt... Uh, that stability in the GM and in coaching uh, roles was something that would help this team. And he basically said, look, that I don't do the hiring around here. I'm just here to play hockey uh, and, and, and do my job there. And I, I actually didn't like the, the comment in that sense, because I do think he should have, you know, maybe not a deciding factor, but maybe they should at least, you know, touch on him. What, what style of coaching do you think would most help the team and that doesn't mean they have to take that to heart they can do uh what you know they think is best but i do think it's important to have buy-in from your top player there and so i would hope that they would at least uh you know maybe not consult him in the hiring process but at least talk to him ahead of time and see what he gets a feel for and what he thinks 
could most benefit that team and then maybe use that input when making your coaching decision a little bit later so i i actually think it would be good for them to kind of reach out i understand what he's doing there in terms of pr and and saying hey it's you know it's not my job here i i'm what my job is on the ice and i certainly respect and understand that but i hope they would at least uh, touch base with him in terms of how uh, what type of coach they want moving forward yeah you know what i'll just take a minute to comment on that i think that a captain's role includes being a liaison between the players and the coaching staff and he has to be the conduit to get the message from the players to management that that you said very very well they they have to have an input in terms of uh, how they want things to go down. Uh, certainly they're getting paid a lot of money to do it, but they're not having a lot of success, and the turnstile and the management level can't do this team any favors. So I do think he should take the opportunity to speak up and be that conduit, take a more active role rather than a passive uh, and uh, really not, not a very interesting comment in terms of the media consumption there. He could have done a lot more to highlight uh, the need for something to be straight <coughs> at the at the front office level, in Florida, this team went one one and three in a busy week last week. Jace, Jace Horaluck is a guy that I think is worth tracking over here. He's slotted to get right wing minutes on the se- second line alongside Trocheck and Dadanoff. These guys have been pretty prolific scorers all year long. In goal, James Reimer's out for a week or so with an undisclosed injury, so rookie Samuel Montembeau was recalled, and he made his debut last week, and he lost in overtime in his first start, but I think they should give this guy uh, a bit of a look in a few more games before uh, Reimer comes back, just to see what they have in the system, because we know they're going to go shopping for goalies, but I wonder if uh, if they might have an answer in, inside before they go outside. Uh, elsewhere on the roster, Mike Hoff- Hoffman has quietly reached a 30-goal mark and only now has he even been penciled in to get first line minutes he's been doing it in the second and third line roles with some exposure on the power play but i'm excited to see what he gets to do with uh, partnering with the captain here barkov yeah i think that's a an, an interesting point you make there you know producing uh, in those you know kind of uh, ulterior roles and really i do think uh, it, it could bode well for him to be on that huberto barkov line and, and could see his production go up even further uh, I do think uh, they need to continue to get production out of their their other lines, and they have of late. Uh, Riley Sheehan, since joining uh, the organization, has six points uh, in uh, just 16 games. Obviously, that's a, a decent depth third-line contribution. Frank Vetrano has mostly uh, been producing as well, though of late he's slumping a little bit with uh, a seven-game point in the streak. But on the year, he's got solid numbers. And so I think if you can get production out of that bottom six group without having to have Mike Hoffman included, uh, I think it makes for for a really uh, well-balanced team. And when it comes to Los Angeles Kings, I'm going to try and find some DFS value here. And that's why I highlight Brendan Leipzig. He's making good on a left-wing opportunity on the second line, playing with Jeff Carter. He's playing also big power play minutes here over the past week or two, tallying two goals and an assist playing next to the high-flying center. Despite bigger minutes, however, and with new playing partner Drew Doughty, Derek Forbert has not followed suit on the blue line. He hasn't contributed anything offensively over the last eight games. Maybe that's just, that's just not a part of his game, I guess. But uh, I was expecting more from him when I first profiled him earlier on this season, and he really hasn't delivered. In goal, 
Uh, Jonathan Quick is getting lit up with great regularity of late, and that's tough to see because this is a, a guy who is normally regarded as one of the better goalies in the league. But the team in front of him isn't very good, and he, even though he's still one of the leaders, uh, he's he's got to take some of the hits for not delivering what he can because there are other goalies in other circumstances that are similar that are playing better than him right now, and uh, that's uh, that's quite a fall from grace for a guy who's got a couple of re- uh, of cups on his resume. Well, if you're looking for value, uh, I'm going to dig into the well. If you if you want to spend up in other spots and go minimum blue line uh, option, I present to you Matt Roy. Uh, the blue liner is projected to be in that second pairing, played almost 20 minutes uh, in the most recent outing, 29 points in 45 games with AHL Ontario this season. He's a Michigan Tech product, uh, you know, from uh, the college days, produced multiple 20-point uh, seasons in uh, you know, with, with them seventh round picked relatively, uh, unheralded there, but I think he can add some offense. Now he hasn't done it yet since being called up in mid February, but I think it's coming. Uh, this is a guy that will add up block shots for you does get some shots on goal, not a ton. Um, but he can provide a little bit of uh, production in those categories. And if he can find uh, an assist or, or even a goal here at some point, I think you're going to be really happy with that, especially at that bare minimum uh, defensive price le- uh, tag of 3500 AJ, when I look at the Minnesota Wild roster and the recent pickup of Ryan Donato, I'm reminded of the player that I saw last year in the playoffs and how he didn't really take advantage and take the next step in Boston this year, but he certainly must be loving life in Mini right now. Two goals and five assists in his six games since being traded there and assuming the right wing role in the top line. But aside from him, Fiala, whoever, however, he, uh, who came over from uh, Nashville is pointless in his first three games. I'm expecting much more from this guy. Maybe the, the puck <laughs> will start going in. He certainly is delivering shots on goal with nine attempts in his first few games there. Elsewhere on the roster, Luke Coonan is not impressed while taking on the second line center role with Koivu on the IR for the rest of the year. They got to find somebody there, don't they? He has only two points in his last nine games. That's just not good enough. Joel Erickson F. Eck is recently getting some of those extra minutes among the forwards and has averaged almost four shots on goal in his last four games played. That's a big uptick in terms of his uh, his uh, shots on goal in any case, and uh, goals can result from that. We saw that last night in uh, a, Leaf far, uh, a Leaf fourth liner getting a hat-trick. We'll get to that in a little bit later. On the blue line with uh, Matt Dumba out, Jared Spurgeon has filled in capably, matching his career high of 38 points and uh, doing it uh, with with uh, the ability to look after his own end too a very valuable commodity in Minnesota well one player I will go back to to banging the drum for is Jordan Greenway uh, I've talked about him a bunch all season long I, I really love everything he offers he's a big power forward uh, and and can you know produce and he's finally starting to put that together a little bit he's got two goals and two assists in his last six games uh, should continue to see right around that 15 minute mark in terms of ice time uh, occasionally ends up on the power play is not on the power play every single game uh, but they do shuffle him in and out there and so I think that's another option uh, for you as well in that third line role I actually really like uh, this third line in terms of on paper uh, you know ceiling in Greenway Erickson Eck in Aberg um, unfortunately as you mentioned there have been uh, some problems there with some of those guys uh, throughout the season but I do think overall uh, that's a solid third line that if they can really start clicking together uh, you know could uh, really set this team up well for for a deep postseason run 
And when it comes to Montreal, I'll remind our listeners that a little bird told me in the offseason, somebody was close to Max Domi, was saying he was just dying to get out of Arizona because he wanted to play in a place where hockey matters. Found that in Montreal, and look what he's done. 59 points in 66 games, certainly fulfilling his belief that he would thrive in a place where hockey is king. Some guys are like that, AJ, I guess. And uh, I think all people should be happy to play where they are for the money they get paid in the NHL. But this guy needed more, and he's certainly delivering. Brendan Gallagher also delivering. He's picked up goals in three straight games last week to continue his fine season. He's now up to 29 goals, a lock to get another 30-goal season under his belt, and uh, only 14 assists, so he's a candidate for the Cy Young Award here in in the NHL. (laughs) On the flip side, I know Victor Mete is only 20 years old, but I wonder how much we should expect from him. He's getting a ton of time paired with Shea Weber, uh, one of the top... uh, defenseman who can play it any way you like and yet he has only nine assists to show for 55 games played this season and he only had a handful of assists last year in a similar uh, number of games so the offense just lacking in a guy who didn't profile that way as a junior so I'm surprised by that in terms of other surprise contributions Joel Armia had a four goal week last week that's a high high watermark on the year but I don't think we should consider it his new norm by any means well, I think uh, one thing to kind of keep an eye on, especially in terms of DFS play, uh, is Carey Price uh, is uh, mispracticed yesterday with the flu, which isn't totally surprising considering he's taken two of their last back-to-backs. He's played in both of those games uh, for, for stretch, um, and that has him playing in 14 straight. Uh, I think regardless of whether actually there's a third back-to-back in there as well. So I think regardless of whether, you know, what is health, uh, indicates here in terms of, uh, you know, whether or not he can play, I think it might be a good time to sit him down anyway, uh, which, you know, for me, uh, that means an opportunity to maybe key in on some of those, uh, Los Angeles Kings players that, that we talked about, or conversely, uh, if you do think Montreal can ride the wave without him, it might be a good opportunity to save some money on goaltending if Antti Niemi gets a start. So definitely going to want to check the Rotowire uh, starting goalie grid there for for today's contest and figure out uh, whether or not you know Niemi is in fact going to get the nod. In Nashville, I was looking forward to what uh, Michael Grandland might look like here. I think he's a great pickup for the Preds, and he's already looking comfortable in his new digs with a point and six shots on goal over the first two games played in a left-wing role on the second line next to Kyle Touris, who himself is slowly getting back to form with three points in his last seven games. I expect a, more, a lot more from these two guys very soon, and that they should be relatively inexpensive in the DFS play for the next little while. Wayne Simmons, another recent addition, should not be overvalued in in DFS play, though, in my opinion. He's a great fit on the third line right wing and will be getting some added time on the power play, but he's just not the scorer that some of the other guys that they have in the top six. So he'll be he'll be shortchanged uh, by playing these right wing minutes on the third line. Uh, he has one assist in three games played for the Fred so far. That's a, indicative of a pace that we should expect the rest of the year. Well, obviously injuries were a factor here, but I'm still a little bit surprised to see P.K. Subban uh, at fourth in terms of uh, production on on this blue line uh, behind Yossi Ekholm and Ellis. Now, if you again, if you want to factor in uh, the injuries and just look at point per game, he's still fourth. Uh, behind Yossi Ekholm and Ellis. And so I find that really interesting to see uh, him having a bit of a down year here. Now he should still get to the 30-point mark before the end of the season here. 
might, if he really picked up his production, be able to hit 40. I think that's a stretch. I think 30 is obviously more likely, but yeah, just the fact, uh, I think that constitutes a down year for Subban. You may, an argument could be made that it's an up year for Ekholm and Ellis. Uh, but obviously I, I think there's some concern that the guy who's supposed to be, honestly, he's supposed to be leading the team. I think, I, I think expectations, uh, more often than not are that he would be ahead of even Roman Yossi, um, but is only fourth in terms of offensive production. Maybe that's a little bit to have to do with his role, having to play a little more defensively. Um, but I do think they need a little more production out of him. Certainly when you consider that $9 million cap hit that has three years to run, that's a real concern that could get bigger and bigger. In New Jersey, they went 1-3 and three last week. I saw good offensive skills in Connor Carrick's game when he patrolled the Leafs' blue line and wasn't surprised to see him collect two points in his New Jersey debut following his recent trade there. He should be just fine in the top four-minute situation here. That's probably where he's well-suited, I think, to get a chance to play on the power play as well. Should bode well for him. The forward ranks have been decimated by injury here. That's been the bugaboo all season long. Veteran winger Drew Stafford is now up on the right wing at the top line, hoping to snap a long drought while so many others are on the sideline. I'm more interested in seeing what guys like Kenny Agostino and Blake Coleman can do with Travis Zajac in second line duty as this team has really shuffled things up offensively. Yeah, there's definitely some intriguing options here uh, in terms of, you know, maybe um, some sneaky plays. If if you're looking for kind of depth option, I think Blake Pielta is is one. I think Nick Lappin is another uh, guys that you could definitely want, uh, you know, to consider uh, taking a look at. And so figuring out uh, what they can offer there. And so it's something to, to keep an eye on in terms of who's in and out of this lineup. Cause as you said, there's a ton of injuries. Uh, Nico Hirscher is questionable for today. Same with Stefan Nosen. That would obviously shuffle things up, uh, in terms of center. Uh, and so there are injuries on the blue line too. You've got, uh, Mirko Mueller who's out after that scary, uh, injury for him. Sounds like he's mostly just dealing with a shoulder injury after all that, which is uh, a really, uh, a good news there. Same Vatnin is given a maintenance day yesterday. Uh, he's a little bit banged up and questionable tonight as well. So uh, just a ton of question marks and moving parts here. And you really need to know who's lining up with who in terms of, you know, picking your spots here if you want to use any of the devils tonight. I mentioned in the Islanders situation that they did have an emotional win over the Leafs last week, but it was surrounded by three losses as they saw each of their fourth-line grinders, Sezikas, Clutterbuck, and Martin, get nicked up with injuries that will keep them up short ter- out short-term. But uh, they're arguably the league's top fourth-line uh, scoring regularly, and they're great agitators who were missing from regular duty. It showed in the club's recent uh, uh, efforts last week, in my opinion. Apart from that, veteran Andrew Ladd surprised me by picking up assists in each of the last three games played since he came off a long IR stint. Good for him because he's been maligned for a couple of years there underperforming relative to the contract and maybe getting a chance now to make good on a little bit uh, when they need him the most in the nets robin leonard's been giving up a few more goals of late than he did earlier in the season i'm going to keep an eye on that as he may need a bit of a rest they've been riding him pretty hard in the nets yeah absolutely and i i find it interesting that they are uh, using him so heavily despite the fact that you know thomas grice is his numbers aren't, you know, outrageous, but they are uh, still solid 17, 10 and two this season four shutouts, which is a career high. 
a 2.24 goals against average, which is actually a career low. Um, so I'm, I am definitely surprised to see he's not getting a little bit more of a workload. Uh, and I think there's probably a short lease at this point, uh, for, for, uh, learner here and, and grice could be an option for them uh, if he starts to slip anymore in new york brendan lemieux has been active as a third line left wing here with a goal 10 shots and 14 penalty minutes in his first three games as a ranger i think this guy is going to thrive here and be a fan favorite for a long time uh, elsewhere on the roster ryan strom is getting a look has the new second line center since the trade deadline and in fact he has nine of his 22 points on the season over his last 11 games played so thriving in that role here i'm all a little bit surprised on the downside that brendan smith has slid to the bottom of the defense depth chart in fact aj this guy's playing fourth line left wing minutes in recent games <coughs> he may need a change of scenery to revive his career but the problem here is he collects a, a 4.3 million dollar cap hit for the next two seasons the rangers uh, might be seeing this as a mistake on their roster and want to try and rid, of, rid themselves of it in the offseason, I think. That is a pretty hefty price tag for, for a guy, uh, you know, with uh, kind of his role right now on this team. Uh, it definitely something that they'll want to consider. I, I think to your point, I'm not sure anybody's going to want to take that cap hit on. Uh, what's interesting for me, uh, I totally understand it, but at the same time, it's a little confusing, is the uh, net mining situation. It sounds like they're going to split Lundqvist and, and Georgiev the rest of the way, which you know, I, I get you want to see Georgiev and, and, and see what he can offer and, and take a look at him and honestly, in some ways, kind of audition him potentially uh, to be moved at some point. Um, but Henrik Lundqvist has been the face of your franchise for a very long time. And I can't imagine he's feeling really great about having split time this year, especially for a team that's rebuilding. Uh, he said he wants to stay in New York. And I, I do think in some ways uh, they're doing him a disservice by by not utilizing him more. I get the seasons not on the line here. I understand all of those factors. But for me, uh, there's a little bit of a a disconnect here with, you know, forcing a guy like Henrik Lundqvist uh, to watch, you know, half the games uh, from the bench when he's fully healthy. In Ottawa, following a busy trade deadline, uh, the team went one and three last week. The, the roster, of course, looks very different. It's audition time here. Zach Smith is now a left wing on the top line. He has a goal and 11 shots on goal in his last three games, so giving a good account of himself. Ostriger Lind. Berg is going to get a look as the number two center, but he hasn't shown much all season here. I think this guy's a placeholder and they need to upgrade that position big time. On the wing, Magnus Pajarvi has shown flashes of vast offensive skill at right wing and will get second line minutes, but his career has been defined by lots of disappointment in terms of playing up to his potential, so I don't hold out a lot of hope for him either. The same can be said for Anthony Duclair, but at least he has two goals in four games played here. Yeah, well, one guy that is auditioning well uh, as uh, is Brian Gibbons. He's got uh, you know three points in in his four games with Ottawa, uh, definitely producing at a level that you know we haven't seen out of him in, in quite some time, honestly, since he was uh, in New Jersey uh, back in 2017. And so I, I think it's a a good opportunity for him to potentially uh, secure. Uh, you know, a longer uh, commitment from them. And, and we'll see how that all shakes out. Obviously, uh, he's making just a million dollars this year. He's going to be a UFA in the offseason. Certainly, if he has a good end to the year, there could be a handful of teams that want to add him as kind of a veteran presence uh, for some depth scoring here. Although you would think that Ottawa, you know, with how young this team is going, they might be the best place suited for, for a guy that's uh, played a few games in the league. 
When it comes to Philadelphia, we have to bring our our listeners up to date in terms of the dollar bet updates. Uh, you've got a pretty good lead on me in our dollar bet between the Leaf and Pittsburgh centers, but the dollar bet uh, junior, I'll call it, is one that really has uh, picked up uh, Twitter followers uh, for, for both of us and got some noise going in from Daniel Negreanu, our friend from uh, from the Twitter world and uh, of course a poker hall of famer he put it to you that he wanted to bet uh, with with you on Nolan Patrick and you said uh, he he won't get 30 points this year well he's got 26 and that's far away from the threshold of course uh, from your adversary's point of view he he reached out and said uh, how do you feel about it now you're getting nervous and uh, then Patrick goes and gets injured on the weekend and his status for this week is unclear so maybe you can address that point uh Elsewhere, despite employing a record number of goalies this season, the Flyers are still only five points of a wild card spot. I find that really remarkable, AJ, in terms of the on-ice product here. Veteran forwards certainly are leading their recent charge when you consider Claude Giroux back at center with seven points in four games played, JVR five points in four games played, and Jakub Voracek not playing with these guys but still collecting six points in the three games he suited up for. Those are all the expected leaders, but might they have uncovered another gem on the blue line here? As Travis Sanheim has four goals and one assist last week from the blue line. That brings him to 29 points on the season. And uh, nobody thought this guy was going to be a big contributor uh, offensively, did they? No, I mean, I think that's definitely uh, a good point. I, I would not have projected him uh, to be one of their top producers. In fact, if you look at his pairing with Ivan Provorov, I would have expected Provorov to be the one uh, with more points there. And so uh, definitely uh, a little bit of a surprise there, but I think uh, certainly something he's capable of. Another kind of young name on that blue line is uh, Philippi Myers. I think he has a chance to maybe get some ice time uh, and and set himself up well for next season. Obviously, I don't think uh, you know. Even if they make the playoffs, it, it'll you're looking more future uh, in terms of his development, not necessarily what he can do uh, for you this season. In terms of Nolan Patrick, I, I think the point I was trying to make uh, was that I didn't expect a lot out of him this year. And I think you know, in our latest exchange, I think Daniel kind of uh, conceded that his numbers have been down. Obviously, thirty. Uh, may have been a little bit of a, of a overreaction on my part, which is why Daniel was willing to put a billion dollars up against my $1 in terms of that. But obviously at 26 points uh, at this point in the season, I wasn't outrageously off. I think uh, even if he avoids uh, an injury here, I don't think 40 is uh, looking necessarily like uh, a mark that he will hit. And uh, obviously, you know, it's not looking great for me, but there's still games to be played. He has gone through plenty of slumps this season, and I certainly am willing to collect uh, my billion dollars here if he does not get those four points in the last couple of remaining games. Well, uh, I floated the idea that Daniel should make his presence felt at our Vegas meetup this summer. So he liked the tweet, so I wonder if we'll get to meet up and do a bit of a presentation. If he loses that bet, though, he's got to bring a Brinks truck with him to the party. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, ne- in terms of the next team, it's your favorite club, the Pittsburgh Penguins, that went 2-0-1 last week. It was another winning week for your favorite team, AJ. But an alarming total of four D-men are sidelined, and that's where I want to talk to you about the concerns. Most notably, Chris Letang, he missed all three games last week and uh, is back skating with the club. No news from me uh, about when he's going to return at the moment. Maybe you have an insight. 
I thought they needed uh, an upgrade at left wing before the trade deadline. I did say that when we were profiling the club a couple of weeks ago. I didn't expect it to be Jared McCann who would ever fill that role, but he fit in very nicely on Crosby's flank and picked up three goals with one assist uh, playing on the port side there. I don't know if that's a permanent situation, but that move was made necessary when Brendan Russ went down with a lower body injury. AJ, what do you see in terms of the roster news here? Well, I think what I'm really, uh, you know, Im- impressed by has been uh, honestly Jack Johnson's play. Uh, the guy has been so maligned since joining Pittsburgh, given the size of his contract, um, but he has just really uh, stepped in well with these injuries. You know, they had the one game where both Latang and uh, Dumoulin got hurt, and he played 31 minutes. Uh, then they go into the next game, and, and Ruido gets hurt. So then they're down uh, to just five defensemen in that game. He plays 26 minutes, picks up an assist in that one, and so really, uh, I've been pleasantly, uh, you know, thrilled with his play uh, of late. And I think it's more than just, you know, obviously in terms of fantasy production, Jack Johnson's not a guy. Uh, that I would use in DFS or really season long. But for, you know, kind of on ice, I think he pairs up really well with Justin Schultz. I think he gives Schultz that ability and freedom to play an offensively minded game uh, that that he can step in well for Chris Letang in his absence. Uh, and I think if those guys can really uh, get going well, if, you know, once the Penguins get healthy, you potentially have Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin as your top pair, Justin Schultz and Jack Johnson as your second. Uh, and that would leave open the possibility of Eric Gudbranson and Marcus Pedersen being a third kind of defensively minded, offensively minded pairing uh, for this team, which I think is really good going into the postseason. That's not even factoring Olimata, who potentially will be back uh, for the end of the year here. And so uh, I, I actually think the time off has been good to get guys like Gud Branson uh, familiar with the system, to let John, Jack Johnson play to his style of game and, and really kind of stabilize himself here. Uh, and so, yes, would I prefer to have Latang and Dumo in the lineup? Of course. Uh, but I think there's a silver lining here, and I think it's a good thing, uh, you know, a good way to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. Very good. In San Jose, Evander Kane has been sidelined for the past few games after a one-sided fight with Zdeno Chara. Consider that Kane is one of the top power forwards in the league, and just let that sink in for a minute. I saw that scrap, and boy, uh, who would, who would ever want to fight Zdeno Chara after seeing that again? Marcus Sorensen has picked up some of those vacated left-wing minutes and has three goals in the last two games. While this team has been rolling along, Eric Carlson is now expected to miss at least one week with a groin injury. That's a bit of a, a nagging concern. Could, could become a major one if he doesn't get over it quickly. Gustav Nyquist has been active since his uh, joining this club. He's got nine shots on goal over three games since his trade here, while averaging over 16 minutes per game but he's failed to hit the score sheet I'm not worried about that he will and soon yeah I absolutely agree I think Nyquist uh, will get on uh, get going here sooner rather than later uh, I, th- I think having Kane out is kind of set that back a little bit. I think with Kane in the lineup, uh, your matchup options for Nyquist change a little bit uh, in terms of when he's on the ice. And so uh, I think ultimately getting Kane back in the lineup will benefit Nyquist uh, in terms of freeing him up a little bit. The Eric Carlson injury is really concerning. This has dragged on really since before uh, the All-Star weekend and, and kind of been in and out of the lineup here 
they talked about it being an illness for a while. And then suddenly it was a lower body injury. And you have to wonder uh, if it was a groin injury at that time uh, that he was dealing with. And now is again, it, it does not set up well uh, for the end of the season here. Obviously for me at this point, if, if I'm uh, San Jose, I consider just outright, you know, don't play him until he is absolutely a hundred percent ready to go. You're second in the Pacific. Yes, you could make a strong push to to chase down Calgary, and that would set you up with a better matchup. But at the end of the day, you need this guy healthy as can be heading into the playoffs. And so whatever it takes uh, to shut him down, if you have to keep him out the rest of the month, uh, that is a decision that I certainly would consider making uh, in order to prepare uh, yourselves for the playoffs. Yeah, it'll bear watching, and we'll keep a close eye on it. In St. Louis, I can't explain... uh, Maroon's subpar output this season, but the Blues are going to give him another chance to shine on offense as he is going to get left-wing minutes on the top line, it looks like, this week. He picked up an assist last week in the three, in the three games played. With Shen missing the last two weeks and still not ready to return, Tyler Bozak has increased his scoring pace as the number two center with five <coughs> points in his last nine games played. I've seen this guy play top six minutes. He can hold on to that role and, and uh, represent uh, in that situation. So it might be a cheap DFS play in St. Louis right now. Second line wingers uh, Steen and Schwartz have underperformed all season, though, and that's a bigger concern here for a team which is in a playoff spot with many teams in hot pursuit. They need the veterans to these veterans to answer the bell well i'm a little surprised that you didn't take another opportunity to talk about your favorite st louis blue jordan bennington (laughs) uh so i will do it for you i know he's uh, a friend of the family there obviously we've seen a little bit in in a couple of his most recent outings that he is in fact human uh, and (laughs) will not stop every puck that goes to the net but still uh, despite you know uh, a couple down outings, you look at his last four: two, two, and zero. Oh, a two point oh one goals against average had another shutout uh, in that stretch, and so I think really cementing himself as as a solid, solid NHL netminder moving forward. Uh, obviously, you have to wonder a little bit uh, what happens once teams get a chance to look at some more film on him and kind of maybe figure out where you know where his uh, weaknesses are. But overall, uh, I think he is going to continue to outplay Jake Allen and really will make uh, this uh, uh, an intriguing offseason and perhaps training camp to see uh, which one of these guys might walk away with the number one job heading into next year. Well, and I hope that I get a chance to take some shots at him this, this, this summer. And if I do, I'm going to make sure I put them on film. So you'll get a chance <laughs> to see that. Tampa Bay next, 50 wins and 66 games played so far, AJ. That's ridiculous. Uh, Kucherov leading the club again with six points and four games played last week. But it's defenseman Hedman with, who's next with four points. He's such a key player in all phases of the game and is still a little underrated when most of the talk revolves around the top forwards and the goalie here. I think they'd like to see uh, more production out of one Andre Palat if you're looking at picking nits here. At the left wing on the top line, it's been uh, underproducing, uh, whether it be him or Alex Killorn. They'll flip-flop between these two guys. Uh, Killorn had some early season success there. So it'll be a key in terms of DFS value to see who's getting that role going down the stretch. As he progresses though they're getting more consistent scoring from the third line center as if they needed that but Anthony Sorelli's really grown as a player eight points in his last 12 games well look when you have Nikita Kucherov leading the league with 106 points you have the likes of uh you know uh in my opinion Hall of Famer Steven Stamkos in 77 points uh 
one guy has kind of fallen uh, off the radar a little bit, if that can be said, in Braden Point, who's put together 36 goals, 44 assists for a 40 or for an 80 point season. That's a 1.25 per game average, which is among uh, one of the highest in the league right now. And so to think an 80 point guy is flying under the radar is really surprising. But as I said, He's got Kucherov and, and Stamkos kind of taking the limelight, plus that blue line, Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, there really uh, is, uh, you know, there's only so much uh, space in your news columns. And so, unfortunately, Brain Point's been left off, but a phenomenal year and almost uh, a borderline, you know, lock player uh, in DFS on a night to night basis. And when it comes to the Maple Leafs, they went 3-1 and one last week, and they also won last night. So they're uh, winning more than they're losing, but injuries have cropped up, and I'm a little bit concerned. They've been without uh, Nazem Kadri for a little bit. He's in concussion protocol, but I understand he's skating with the club and might even play on this Western road trip, which has two more stops in it. In his absence, Willie Nylander has finally found his legs and looks ready for a bit, to be a big contributor. Offense won't be the issue here. It's defense that is suddenly an even bigger concern as Gardner and Dermott, top four guys all year, are now out with back and shoulder injuries respectively. They're, the notes there are week to week, and uh, that means that Mar- Marty Marinson, Hall and Ozaganov, it's a trio that's going to get their feet wet in a rotating basis. None of these guys really inspires me with any uh, great feelings, AJ. And on the other side of it, in terms of positive positivity, Tyler Ennis has been on a real tear, despite the fact he's getting fourth-line minutes. He's also doing cameos on the power play, and boy, has this guy been productive. He's certainly been worth a million-dollar investment. It's down, down to $100,000 a goal in limited play. He's going to get a contract next year somewhere. I honestly can't believe what I'm hearing that you're missing Jake Gardner uh, <laughs> and and sad that he's out of the lineup. But I didn't say uh, that <laughs> <laughs> you say you qualified it as a big concern uh, ha- not having Jake Gardner. But uh, all, all jokes aside there, I, I do think it is a big concern for them. You know, you have really three rather untested guys. I think that's going to put more pressure on, on Riley Hainsey, Muzzin and Zaitsev to really uh, eat up more minutes to kind of limit how often uh, Marison, Ozaganov and Hall are, are, are on the ice. Uh, what's unfortunate on, on the front end is that a guy, Nicholas Patan, gets moved uh, at the trade deadline. I think I saw one, uh, you know, uh, beat writer tweet something to the effect of uh, the Jets have released Nick Patan from prison uh, by, you know, sending him to a team where he's going to get some playtime. Well, then Tyler Ennis starts lighting it up and Patan is stuck again in the press box. It seems this guy can't catch a break. I do think, uh, you know, if he moved to a team that wasn't stacked with young talent, he could be, uh, you know, a, a solid third or fourth line guy. But unfortunately, he keeps landing in spots uh, that are really deep in forward depth and have young guys that are, are breaking into the league and, and uh, just can't seem to get into the lineup. In Vancouver, the Canucks went 1-2-1 and last week. Their playoff hopes took a hit with that losing record. On the plus side, though, they got Alex Edler back on the blue line. He immediately resumed his heavy workload and as the power play linchpin on the back end. Meanwhile, Sven Berchi is also close to returning from the IR and should challenge for top six minutes very soon. Tanner Pearson has landed on Marcus Pedersen's left wing after his recent arrival here, and he's responded to that opportunity by picking up a goal and a total of six shots on goal while playing his normal abrasive style over an average of 15 minutes per game. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think Petter, uh, Pearson has a, a good shot to maybe, you know, find, find his game here a little bit. Obviously, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh, it wasn't there. The move to LA, uh, one assist in 17 games was a little cut short by injury, but still uh, not nearly enough production there. He does have the one goal in three games so far, uh, with Vancouver and perhaps, you know, perhaps he can find, uh, find something playing along with Elias Patterson. Uh, but overall, uh, it's not a, a player necessarily that I, that I would personally target at this point, uh, more often than not. I think I'd rather take a look at a Nikolai Goldobin, who's going to play with Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. Uh, that might be another kind of uh, depth option there. I also really have always been high on Adam Gaudet. I think, uh, you know, his uh, kind of break into the league has been, uh, you know, less than, than what I would have hoped for, but I do still see him as a, you know, 30 point producer more often than not. Once he gets adjusted to the NHL game uh, and a little bit has been overshadowed by the addition of Pedersen. In Vegas, they went 4-0 and last week. The Knights are hitting on all cylinders right now, and we'll highlight one key component a little later in the show. Hmm, I guess who uh, we might be calling the stud of the week. I'll keep it a secret for a little while. Maybe you'll be challenged with that, AJ. Mark Stone <laughs> has been an active part of what will be a potent scoring line, but picked up only one assist over his first four games in the new digs with uh, 13 shots on goal. This guy's a great addition. Don't don't fret. He'll be in among the scoring stats very soon. The other scoring line may anticipate receiving less attention going forward. So I see big, <laughs> bigger DFS value in the trio of Carlson, Marchessault, and Smith looking forward uh, when the other uh, line gets its traction. Uh, elsewhere on this roster, Alex Tuck is another value play as he's enjoying another fine offensive season, getting big power play minutes along with his third line role. And he's uh, got a chance to get 20 goals this season. Yeah, I, I said this at the the trade deadline. I, I, the addition of Mark Stone is great. Uh, I agree with you. He's going to score sooner rather than later. I think the fact that they went four and zero without him finding the back of the net only shows how much you don't want to play this team right now. Um, but Alex took getting bumped off that second line assignment, uh, I think is, is an unfortunate consequence of adding uh, Mark stone to the lineup. I don't uh, by any means suggest that Tuke should be playing over him. Uh, you're not going to pull Riley Smith off or Pacioretty or March assault. There's really just no spot for Tuke in the top six. I think it's unfortunate for him and his you know development, but the fact that they're keeping him on the power play, I think kind of, uh, you know, offsets perhaps a, a lack of five on five, uh, opportunities for him here. And overall, I think he'll be just fine. He he'll add some scoring depth here, but I do think it is kind of unfortunate for him. If I was an Alex took owner, I'd be a little disappointed, uh, by that additional Mark stone to see him drop down the lineup. In Washington, the defending champs are buttoning things down in recent weeks and they went three and zero last week. And nowhere is it more evident than in the Nets where Braden Holtby's game is coming together. He's only allowed 11 goals against in his last five starts. That's his best string of play in the season. Similarly, OV is on fire with 18 points in his last 14 games played. But actually, he's been near that pace all season long. A very consistent year of output for the captain here. The Caps still move their top two centers around from time to time though and that bears watching when you consider who's playing with Ovi right now Kuznetsov's been riding shotgun with the captain so he's the guy that's going to cost you more in DFS than Backstrom and justifiably so Tom Wilson is on the verge of breaking the marks that he set last year in a breakout campaign and we still have 16 games to go here he's proving me wrong and I admit it this guy is now a scorer a bona fide scorer 
<laughs> I'm not ready to admit it yet. Um, <laughs> too many hard feelings on that one. No, but you're absolutely right. I do think he is showing uh, an ability to play. Uh, I, th- I think Tom Wilson uh, is probably the definition of power forward, to be totally honest with you. A guy that's got scoring touch, that plays uh, a physical style of game, sometimes a little bit over the line. But, you know, I think if you wanted to look at what a power forward in this league is becoming, I, I do think Tom Wilson is a good example of that uh, in, in terms of what he adds uh, on both the physical side and uh, the scoring side. Another player that we really haven't talked about much this season is TJ Oshie. Uh, has five points in his last four games, uh, 42 on the year. Definitely an opportunity to hit the 50 mark. He came just three uh, points shy of that last season and, and should uh, continue to roll for them uh, heading into the postseason and will definitely be a huge factor in a top six role, especially, uh, you know, in the end of the season here. Obviously, it's not a postseason factor, uh, but his his abilities on the shootout, I think, will be key uh, if they find themselves in any overtime games here in the rest of the regular season. All right, and we wind it up with a look at Winnipeg. Uh, well, things are looking up for one of the league's biggest and best teams. They went 2-1 and one last week. Patrick Laine has rediscovered his scoring touch. Now that he's back playing with the team leaders, Shifley and Wheeler, he has four goals and three assists in his last six games, uh, ex- extinguishing a, a long and arduous drought for him. Uh, better news on the injury front. Dustin Bufflin appears ready to assume, resume skating as he recovers from a broken ankle. They can't wait to get the big guy back in the, la- in the lineup. Kevin Hayes had a three-point night to highlight his first week in Jets colors as the new second-line center, giving them a glimpse of what the future might look like in the top six there. But that move relegates a little to the third-line role. We expected that. And he re- still retains power play time, so the, re- there is some residual DFS value in him, but it's uh, tipping downward a little bit. On the downside, Josh Morrissey will possibly miss the remainder of the regular season, if not more, ending his breakout campaign on the blue line, and that's a tough blow that offsets a bit to the return of Bufflin, I guess, on the blue line. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's really no replacing, uh, you know, having a combination of a guy like Josh Morrissey and Dustin Bufflin. Uh, they just don't have... Uh, guys necessarily that are ready to step into an offensively minded role uh, to give them kind of those two guys. Uh, You know, when they made the switch to move line a up, I expressed some concerns about what that might mean for Kyle Connor. Uh, He has not uh, flagged off at all six points in his last six games, 14 shots on goal still gets those big power play minutes. uh, So that remains unchanged. And I, I think he, Uh, obviously is probably some of that benefit comes from that upgrade at center in Kevin Hayes. And so I really think uh, it, it, it is helping in in more ways than one, the ability to keep line a on the first line and have Kyle Connor still be producing because he's playing with the likes of Hayes and Ehlers getting Brian little into a third line role that he's a little more suited to, but still keeping him on the power play. Uh, I really think there's some great combinations and kind of ancillary things that are really helped by having Kevin Hayes uh, on the team. All right, AJ, it's time for our FanDuel segment. We'll uh, talk about our experiences. Uh, You and I are among the two and a half million players that have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. I've been on a pretty good streak, but I I hope to get a big win tonight. I like the look of my lineup. Can't wait to hear yours. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, we encourage you all to sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. AJ, there's a 10-game slate on the docket tonight. I know you're going to have an eye on both eyes on the Florida-Pittsburgh game early on, uh, and we can even look forward to a doubleheader 
in terms of Montreal and Los Angeles at the other end of the spectrum, but there's some tasty options in the middle. Winnipeg versus Tampa Bay should be a great tilt. Any game that involves Tampa is one that I'm going to have an eye on for sure. I'm also intrigued by Carolina and Boston because of the implications in the standings, but Carolina playing well, and Boston, like I said, hasn't lost since the Stone Age or whatever I reference I used earlier. I think it was the <laughs> Sahara Forest. But uh, So I'll be watching those four games. Uh, what do you think about the slate tonight? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, uh, Florida-Pittsburgh is a big one for me. Going to keep one eye on New Jersey-Columbus and hope the Devils can do us a favor uh, and knock the Blue Jackets down a a little bit more as well. Uh, Same with Boston and Carolina. These are two uh, strong playoff teams right now. I think that's a great game tonight. Uh, If if you want goals, I think uh, Winnipeg-Tampa Bay is the game to watch. You know, throughout the season, we we monitor the over-unders. And usually six and a half is pretty high. We don't see six and a half too often. Well, that game's at a seven on the over under scale tonight. Now, that's not to say that Vegas is always right when it comes to these, the two netminders there. It certainly could uh, be a a goalie duel, but that's not how it's projecting. So if you like goals, I think that's the game for you tonight. Uh, In terms of the lineup optimizer, I'll just run through it really quick. A uh, little surprised to see uh, a Florida Panthers stack uh, coming out of the lineup optimizer, but uh, Murray has given up plenty of goals uh, this season. And so that could certainly be a factor, but they aren't favored in that game. Pittsburgh is a minus two ten. So again, a little surprised to see that, but overall starts out with the uh, New York Islanders at center with Matthew Barzal for 5,900. That's really a steal at 5,900 for a second line guy playing first power play. Uh, goes with Vincent Trocheck as that first of the Florida Panthers stack at 5,400. Again, that's a pretty good value for him. And I think that could also be a factor. I think the Florida Panthers players don't carry uh, a lot of the big price tags that you see on some of the other teams. Speaking of uh, that potential uh, huge night uh, game, Nikita Kucherov is in the optimizer despite a $9,200 price tag for him but still hard to argue there. Uh, and then the rest of your Florida stack shows up here in Jonathan Huberdeau at 6,400 Evgeny Dadenov at 4,900 and Frank Vetrano at 4,300. I think the factors there on Vetrano uh, specifically is the fact that he'll be on the second power play unit uh, as it stands right now. Dadenov plays on the first power play unit. So coming in uh, there for him defensively uh, optimizer starts with Victor Hedman again 6200 from that big game I think there's some ample opportunity for him to get on the score sheet tonight and then Ryan Pollock for the Islanders at 4500 uh, he's playing power play expected as well uh, in the nets uh, the optimizer is going with Robin Lerner. Uh, obviously, that's assuming he starts tonight. That hasn't been confirmed yet at 8,200. Uh, that game is the most one-sided uh, money line out there tonight. You've got the Islanders minus 345 against Ottawa. So a little bit of, uh, of a one-sided matchup as they see it. Hard to argue with that, uh, being perfectly honest. And so the optimizer going with Lerner between the pipes. And uh, I'll unveil my lineup. I kept it a secret from you today. I didn't put it in our uh, our outline. So uh, I wonder what your comments are to the following. I got Tyler Sagan starting at center for Dallas for $7,800 against a New York team that is uh, in makeover mode. So I think the homestanding stars, they need this game, and the stars will come out, I'll say that. And uh, I'll pair him with Patrice Bergeron. Uh, this guy's a big game player. Tonight's a big game. $7,900 is the price tag. I managed to squeeze them in. I went a little bit high on the centers, so I went cheap 
on the wings. And that, be that begins with Danton Heinen. I highlighted him, and I pair him with uh, the Boston setter on the number one line. So a bit of a Boston stack that continues with Jake DeBrusque uh, on the wing here, too. And uh, I, I think that's a good value play. He's been on a bit of a tear for the Bruins for an extended period of time. $6,100, the price tag is creeping up, but still affordable for me. Then I went to the Pittsburgh-Florida game. That might surprise you a little bit, but I went with uh, Jared McCann, who's getting first-line minutes on Crosby's flank. I think that's a bargain at $4,300 if he gets that role tonight, and all signs point to that happening. Then up next, I'm able to afford Phil Kessel. I haven't put Phil in my la one of my lineups all year long. $7,100, an attractive price tag for him, as he figures to be in the power play, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, one of their key shooters all year long. And uh, high time that I put him in there, I think, with a matchup like this one. Miro Heiskanen, a guy that we've both been high on all year long on the blue line, makes the grade for me at $4,200 against the Rangers as the Stars need this one tonight. And Mike Green is my only outlier. I plugged him in because I needed another defenseman who's capable of putting up some points. And this guy's been consistently on the top pairing all season long. And he gets to play against a suspect Colorado defense. So I'll take that at $4,400. I round out the squad with the Dallas goalkeeper, Ben Bishop, who's been very consistent of late. And uh, I think is a bargain at $8,900 compared to some of the other options out there. Well, I certainly uh, don't, uh, don't, uh, hate uh, the McCann pick. I think that's probably my favorite of yours, and uh, I'll elaborate on that in a little bit. And uh, I don't mind that you're betting on Phil Kessel to end his 15-game uh, uh, goal drought tonight. I, I certainly would like to see that come to an end. He obviously has added uh, some helpers over the stretch, so still been very productive. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, he can end that drought for me. Uh, I'm heavy on uh, two lines tonight, and that is going to start with Sidney Crosby's line. He's averaging uh, 1.35 points uh, per game right now, which is actually higher, uh, 1.34 rather, which is actually higher than his career average, which falls in roughly the 1.2 range. Uh, and so for me, hard to keep him out of the lineup despite that $9,300 price tag. And I'll add his wingers, Jake Gensel at 7,600 and Jared McCann at 4,300. As you said, that's an absolute steal for a guy who's been really rather uh, really productive since joining Pittsburgh and is going to get to play on that top line with Crosby. And then the other line I really like tonight uh, is kind of a matchup uh, pick here. You know, I have almost probably never used a, a lot of Arizona coyotes in my lineup. Uh, but for me, I'm going to use Nick Cousins. Uh, he comes in at 3,600 playing uh, that top uh, center assignment for him and then go with Alex Galchenyuk on his one wing for 6,100 and Clayton Keller on the other wing for 5,700. I think playing against Air, uh, Anaheim at home is a good opportunity for these guys to put up some points. I just couldn't uh, turn away at 3,600 for a first line center guy and Nick Cousins uh, and had to jump on that defensively. Uh, I started out with Zach Wierenski, 5,500 uh, for the Blue Jackets. I, I think he comes in at a decently rated price, offers solid uh, fantasy value on, on most nights. Uh, and so then, uh, you know, just as a run through for our listeners, I always start at goal, then I do my lines. Uh, and then defenseman usually ends up being the last ones I I uh, kind of highlight there. So I had 4,700 remaining and just happened to stumble upon Justin Schultz, uh, who's going to play on that first power play unit uh, with Crosby and Malkin and Kessel. And really uh, at 4,700 uh, for everything he's been able to do lately, again, is another steal for me. And then I had to take 
Robin Leonard in between the pipes tonight against uh, that, you know, shell of an Ottawa team uh, playing uh, in a good matchup um, at home uh, and how good he's been lately. And I'll ride that if they if they switch. Uh, actually, it looks like it just came in that Lerner has been confirmed to start. So I will ride him tonight, although I was going to say I'd be tempted to switch to Grice if that's what they went with. But, uh, yeah, that's how I stacked mine. And I like the pick of Schultz and, and Lerner. I think those are two very solid picks, and uh, they're going to cause me to maybe sh- – Maybe I'll use your lineup, too. I'll put in two lineups tonight. I'll see how Hey, that there goes. you go. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to the stud of the week, and I can see a tear under your eye. We're going to mention Marc-Andre Fleury again. <laughs> Three wins, two shutouts last week. Boy, how good would he look uh, if he was back in a Pittsburgh uniform? Oh, uh, don't uh, start. Uh, <laughs> As I said, he and his team are looking to be very near top form. The 34-year-old puck stopper leads the league in wins and shutouts. It must really grind my co-host that he's not doing it for the Pens anymore. I see no slippage in his game, AJ, and that alone makes Vegas a very tough out once again as they can start planning for another entertaining and long playoff run behind one of the most popular players in the NHL. Sometimes the good guys win, and Fleury is that poster boy for both of us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what has always struck uh, one of the things that has always struck me about Fleury is that uh, it's it's never about me uh, in terms of on ice or off ice. I saw the postgame interview uh, from his uh, 19 save shutout uh, against Vancouver, and he basically said, yeah, the guys did a great job. I didn't have to do a whole lot and, uh, <clears throat> you know, stop the pucks that I need to stop. But otherwise, you know, it, it was all about my team. And so I think that's one of the many things that endures him. Uh, to the rest of his team and, and to people around the league. And so uh, another great season by him uh, needs just two more shutouts to match uh, his career high of 10 from 2014, 15. Uh, certainly something that that could happen for him. I, I would not be shocked uh, to see him hit that mark or perhaps maybe even eclipse it if he can get uh, three more shutouts the rest of the way. And with the rant of the week, we're going to stick and stick with the guys that tend the twine. I'm highlighting Linus Ulmark here. Uh, Buffalo's goalie used the very questionable tactic to get uh, Mitch Marner's attention last week using the old separator. Anybody that's played rep hockey or house league hockey at any level may have seen this on the ice from time to time. It's, it happens when a goalie uses his stick to hit uh, a defenseless player from behind in the area of south of the belt line, I'll say. And uh, this, was, this was an attempt on Mitch Marner last week. He was, Marner, for his part, was standing outside the Buffalo crease on Saturday night. No penalty was called. I think this should be a suspendable offense. To my mind, these and sucker punches are the most gutless incidents that crop up from time to time, and very rarely do you see them called. There should be suspendable incidents that have no place in the game that I love, even if they're not discovered by refs during the game, but are only highlighted later on tape. That's still good enough for me to see these guys pay a price for dirty play that shouldn't be seen when I turn on to watch a hockey game. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And and I think you summarized that really well. I'm actually going to go uh, with another uh, netminder here, Alexander uh, Gorgiev, and uh, throwing the stick uh, in the shootout against, uh, uh, Alex Ovechkin, I get you're out of the play, uh, a little bit, you know, he's kind of deked you, but at least by not throwing the stick, you have a chance that, uh, you know, <laughs> number eight would miss the net. I know it's unlikely, but you basically cost your team the game, uh, and a play that, you know, wasn't going to do any good throwing the stick 
doesn't help you. You you're better off obviously taking the, the chance that he miss hits the pipe, maybe uh, doesn't get enough loft on it. And you actually are able to make a save on it. I think it was just kind of a boneheaded move. Uh, and young netminder that certainly has time to correct it. And I would say the same of Linus Olmark uh, time for him to, you know, plenty of time for him to still clean up his game a little bit. Uh, and so hopefully these guys can learn uh, from these mistakes and, and move on. All right. And that wraps it up for this week's episode of podcast with Statsman and AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay ahead of your, your competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 